Hey, dentisting friends, this is Dr. Nacho. I'm so excited to be doing the Dental Nacho Supreme CE coming up soon. It is going to be 24 hours of live streamed virtual CE brought to you on your couch when you watch live. It counts as live. Miss an episode. It's going to be up in the group for the entire year. To learn more about this awesome opportunity, reach out to us at dentalnachos.com or email supreme at dentalnachos.com. My number one amigo, Rob, is going to be one of the uh, presenters for the Dental Nacho Supreme. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. It's going to be CE brought to you on your couch. Don't miss out. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery. I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. It's good to see you, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. So uh, today, Paul, it's just you and me. Uh, it's just becoming a rare occurrence. Amigo to amigo. Days. I like it. Yeah. Uh, coming off uh, another awesome event uh, in Philadelphia, the uh, Jason Smithson uh, event that the, the nachos oh, thanks, put Rob. on. Yeah, thanks for your support. That was just a great... Great opportunity for so many people to get out face to face. I think you know you know me the the origins of uh, Doctor Nacho, and it was a real face to face movement. And I love Facebook, but you know you just can't replace the energy and meeting new people, key resources and sponsors. Jason was was amazing. The group was great. So yeah. just just an awesome weekend. Yeah, great guy. And I, I always love connecting with all that. Can I call them Nacho heads? Yeah, yeah, or, Nacho heads. I like. I actually, you yeah, yeah. want to think about that. You know, yeah. like the uh, the, the, yes, the Green Bay Packers, said. the cheese heads. I like you can that. get the Nacho chip. People right? are very passionate. You have to be very passionate to wear that. I like. But that. it's great. It's great to uh, to connect with uh, with everybody in the the nachos community, and uh, I I love uh, interacting and meeting all the uh, the sponsors. I may be able to kind of enlist some uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's where uh, you're scouting. That. It's yeah. your scouting thing. Yeah. You're, you're, you're doing that. I'm Everyone goes in to learn about composite. You, know, you get a, you get a right. coffee and a Danish and so, walk so, around. Hey, and psst, yeah. You want to be on the podcast? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was it was a great event. And Jason, uh, a really good guy. And uh, I enjoyed uh, chatting with him. And I have to say, we, we both can say that. I, I was calling him at the end of the, end of the time because we actually had a Sunday hands-on session, which was amazing. Uh, robo lecturer. So I guess I'm old to say RoboCop because, I mean, he did three straight <laughs> days all by himself, which is uh, not easy. He still had the juice on yeah, Sunday. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And we you know, even went out to a, a place on a Saturday night, uh, what you've took, uh, to, uh, Labor 2, uh-huh. uh, one of our classic places. Uh-huh. So, you know, he was he was uh, socializing, teaching, doing it all. Yeah, yeah. It's a good spot. Took him, th- took him down to South Philly. Yeah, yeah. I want to show you. liked it a lot. Cool. So uh, today, uh, our topic <laughs> for the podcast because uh, that's what we're here yeah. to talk about, something, right? Uh, brokers, yay, nay, or something else. So it's, we're going to drill down and dissect, you know, what a broker's role is and do you need a broker if you're going to sell your practice and what the, the pros and cons are and the value that they bring and, and sometimes the uh, the value that they may totally. take away, Yeah. right? So, uh, Paul, you know, you're a broker. Where do you... Uh, Come down on the yay nay well, or something else. Uh, one of my, you know, I'm a, you know, I like uh, catchphrases. You know, always be notching. You know, that's a classic one. But uh, before I was a broker, you know, I, I we acquired uh, two practices from a broker. And you know, on the other side, I thought you know, brokers just drive up in a nice car, say here's the practice, and leave, and they make a good commission check, which falls under. Everything you don't do <laughs> seems easy because right. uh, dentists out there, you know, you just want to. Um, you know, I strangle your patient when they you sit them up from a filling that, you know, took you four years to learn to do in school and then years to practice that, oh man, that was so quick, why'd it cost $200, you know? So it's just to set this up as I was just like anyone else, I thought, you know, being a broker must be easy. And you know, I uh, why, who wouldn't wanna just, you know, sell practices and make commission? Then I started doing that in 2016. You give me a lot of great guidance, Rob, with United Dental Brokers of America. I mean, at, at my core, I love solving problems for dentists and being a broker is just high level problem solving mm-hmm. for them at, uh, you know, big part of their career, the the end part, you know, selling their practice I, in our lectures that we do together. I kind of say it's like, uh, you know, sending your practice to college, but getting paid for it. So it's <laughs> nice. Right. Um, so now I see the, the amount of well, you see when you when you say to a dentist, Rob, my people, the dentist, you're not a dentist. We can do some sort of a, you know, a, a 
program we can do I, a fill I spend, in somewhere. I spend yeah. a lot of time yes. with your people there. But, uh, you know, uh, it, we if I say brokers do a lot of work, a dentist, since I'm also a dentist too, it's not work like a dentist, right? Work like a dentist is full contact art and crafts on your patient, and, you know, next, 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 eight hours a day. And it's just different. You know, when you're working on a deal, there's all different parts of it, beginning, middle, and end. And they can, as you know, we can talk about, they can flare up sometimes into, you know, 47 text messages in one day about something. And there could be time where it's quiet. But what I would like to say, sir, when we say where do brokers fit in the process, they should be on either side of the um, equation, helping the deal get done, streamlining the process, sharing responsible information uh, to set things up. You know, uh, we are not fans of dual representation brokers because uh, nope. steal your joke. You can't be like a Cowboys and Eagles fan at the same time. So I'm stealing Rob's joke. You can you have one of mine. <laughs> But, but, uh, but, but you can be a giant and an Eagles yes, fan. Well, if, if it's for your daughters, story, if right. your daughters, exactly. you know, anything, anything for the kids, anything for the kids, right? Uh, I, that, I know that, a guy like that. that yeah. Um, but uh, I just think that if we can bring more awareness to use them, like to this, what brokers do and how they interact with deals from both sides. So right now I, you know, play the role of a broker for the seller, work for the seller. Um, I'm work with the buyer before the seller, not working for both sides like a dual rep uh, broker. And my goal is to help the seller maximize the price of his practice in a, in a responsible way, bring buyers to the table and manage the process. And it's a, it's a lot of dentist management for a broker because sometimes you have multiple buyers, you have a seller who's only doing this once. That's another thing I like to point out. So it's your once thing. So, you know, you really have a, to try really hard not to drop your nachos. So when we are just talking about yay or nay, um, as a buyer, when myself, I like when there's a broker on the deal, even if it's one that I know might be trying to get me to drop my nachos because I'm right. a pretty savvy buyer. So yeah, tell me uh, your thoughts, Rob. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way. Um, and, you know, a lot of this, and, and this kind of comes up in a lot of different contexts, um, there's like people say, well, brokers are bad because they had a bad experience or, right. or somebody, one person had a bad experience with a broker. And, you know, it really, it varies from right. from person to person, company to company. You know, you can't say that, you know, every broker from even a dual representation right. uh, company is bad. You know, like they're not, they're, they're good people and they're bad people. And so uh, where I see, you know, people getting into trouble though, in when they're interacting with brokers is where they don't really understand the role that the broker right. should be serving. So they're asking them to do something that's beyond the scope right. of yeah. what they should be doing. You know, usually it's in an effort to save money, right? So sort of like, well, you know, if you can, broker, can you tell me, you know, uh, give me some, uh, give me a cash flow analysis so I don't right. have to go out and hire my own accountant? Or, you know, is this, uh, can you prepare the, the, the contract so I don't have to go out and hire a lawyer to prepare an agreement and review it? So, I mean, that's not what people should be asking the broker to do. Ultimately, you know, the broker puts a buyer right. and a seller together. And as you said, Paul, their main job is to be a, a go-between or a conduit to facilitate, I guess, a facilitator of the deal. And I'd like to share in this because we're, we're, our podcast is about things they don't teach you in dental school, but they should. But to share about, and you, you, you spend, do spend a lot of time with a lot of uh, dentists, Rob, of all types, right? Of all ages and stages mm -hmm. and general dentists and specialists. So you said something really um, profound there that dentists could relate to. So the broker is like the general dentist who does what he does and manages the process, but sends you the people who are who know more when they need to. A pediatric dentist, an oral surgeon, an endodontist. So if people, our listeners were you know, saying, how would this relate? If a patient came to you and said, are you gonna take out my wisdom teeth and do my root canal and do my implant and do my daughter's extraction like one of our amazing pediatric dentists mm -hmm. here in the area for mm -hmm. me? The dentist would say, no, I, I'm not doing all of that. So for dentists out there listening, that's the best way to make a comparison. That as a broker, and I say this all the time, I'm there to take a look at the deal, uh, give them responsible information, but to get them to who they need at the process, a bank, a dental-focused accountant, a dental-focused attorney, sometimes a financial planner, people on our podcast that you brought to me that I thought would be very boring but actually became pretty exciting, the least people, the least people. <laughs> you know how dramatically. Me, right? So I mean, just right there, I, I, I listed five people that a broker yeah. do. So one of the things to backtrack and what you said, I'm sure you get to ask this, is like, how do you know if you're working with a good broker? It's just like how you know working with a good anyone. Ask them their experience. You can ask them if they've, ask them to talk to someone they work with. I'd be happy to share uh, sellers that I've sold practices to. Uh, ask them who they know in the industry. And it's not really to, you know, it's just to make sure that the person you're working with is interconnected enough to help you get your deal done. Right. 
and also, you know, to make sure that they are really the type of person that you want right. to be, you know, your, representat- your representative. You know, this is, uh, you know, they are, you know, you are trusting them to, you know, to really they are they become your face and, and, you know? and they're speaking and for you exactly you know and and if they are acting like a jackass then you know it makes you look like a jackass so very true you know and i think when uh, you know a lot of people sort of gravitate to brokers for the wrong reason and sometimes it's because brokers tell them what they want to hear right. but ultimately you know a good broker is somebody that from a from a seller's perspective is going to tell you give you an honest assessment of what the practice is worth what the process is going to be and what you know the the likelihood is of even being able to sell the practice you know and so you know it's easy in a commission-based world that you know people that don't have a lot of business right in this world would rather just go out and sign up whoever they can right because you know but they know that this is going to be a problem you're you're really in your dentist good i was thinking of uh the surfer uh, analogy from Jamie Amos, uh, you know, that buying surfer practices is really about the vibe of the broker, right? Because right. they're representing you. But also, I'm uh, right off of talking to a whole group of dentists yesterday. I said, you know, dentists say things to patients that are super unlikable, like this tooth has a hopeless prognosis. How about saying, you know, not such a good chance of working out well? Sounds right. a little nicer. But right. what you say was important, though. Good brokers should say, what's the prognosis of this getting done? So you know up front, and I love to man, and one of the things to do with patients and and Anyways, manage your expectations. You know, you have a two hundred thousand dollar practice that you've been working at part time, and you have no debt, and you're making sixty thousand dollars a year, and you've done so for the past eight years. Great. I mean, you've accumulated some money doing that, but to ask someone to ter- take over that practice, it's going to be a challenge yeah. because you know. And then I say, who would it be? You know, my, my brother and I have purchased practices like that and added them to our bigger practice. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you're going to do a chart sale for someone, but those are the type of things you should be hearing from a broker, no matter where you are. And I'm glad we're doing this, Rob, because you know people will come to me through dental nachos and say, can you help me sell my practice in Albuquerque, New Mexico? And I said, I, I really can't. And right. you need to find someone out there who does this. Mm-hmm. And these are the things you should learn from. So I just think you know it's just a really good exercise for the dentisting community to mm-hmm. just kind of think, what are the things I need to know when I'm interviewing a broker and talking to him? Right, right. And, you know, and, and so I think it's a good idea to talk to a few people. You oh, know, oh and, me, me too. And, and you don't necessarily need to hire the person that tells you that they can sell your practice for the most money the fastest either. Right. You know, yeah. that sounds like to me like a sales, you know, pitch, which, you know, I'd rather just like with any advice, I'd rather hear, tell me what, what's really going to happen here. And you also, know? I mean, you've seen this and we've had the opportunity to work on so many different things together i tell my tell dennis don't ever tell someone a procedure is going to be easy because that's when it turns out to be difficult and now you've you know set them up this extraction is going to be easy and then an hour later you're still working on it so you know say all, all extractions are different and you know uh this one looks xyz same thing with practices someone comes to me with the best practice tomorrow and I know that I could probably get 18 interested buyers in one day, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to say, oh, it's going to be so easy to sell this practice because it's not. And I'm not right. being deceitful. I mean, you know, there's even when everything goes well, right? it's yes. not easy because no, there's what sure. I found. And I like the audience, our, our listeners to see the amount of things that a buyer has to do to be able to acquire a dental business. That checklist is really long, mm-hmm. you know. They might have to leave a job. They might have to move. That something with their family could have to change. They might have to get a different license. So it's just it's this decathlon of dental practice uh, mm-hmm. things that I just don't think people. I was I just to share with you. I, I was totally unaware of until I I did it right. You know, I didn't think it was as simple as you know he, shaking hands and asking the bank for a big pile of big bag of money with a dollar sign. I always wanted that like, big bag of money with a dollar sign, but uh, I didn't really know in any way, shape, or form these details that you know from you know, transferring practice management software to all different things. And the broker just needs to be aware of this process. Just like as a general dentist, I'm aware of what happens at the oral surgeon for someone to get their wisdom teeth out, but I don't do it. So I just think it's such an important point when you call the broker a facilitator. That's really what we're doing. Right. Well, look, it's like, you know, it's like somebody had seen the movie a few times, right? right. You know, yes. They know how it's yes, going exactly. right? You know, and it's not a surprise. And so everything kind of falls in line. But, you know, I think managing expectations is really important, especially when it comes to value of a practice. Because, you know, if if somebody comes into a seller, comes into a deal thinking their practice is worth a million dollars and it's worth 
really 800 and there are three offers for 800 and that person passes right. on all those offers because they're holding out for this thing that it's not worth you know it's not doing them and i love any that you service. said that and i say this to people because i'm being a broker to dance there's a lot like doing a lot of fairly large general cases like the implant cases that i do because i'm trying to have the patient make a big decision but i'm also trying to make them aware of the pros and cons. So I say this to the sellers a lot in those scenarios. The alternative is zero. The alternative is not leaving your practice. The alternative is not being able to move to Arizona. So do you wanna hold out from that 800 to a million to, to a phantom buyer, right? Like they right. don't even exist. Right. They just exist in your feelings. Right. Like we have three real people who've offered 780 to 820. Right. And I know we were being very optimistic, you know, cause if you're always gonna list a practice with optimism, right? Mm -hmm. You know, but, uh, I think that's an important point. And they, the other thing I would say is, you know, as a general dentist, patients have the best relationship with the general dentist because they know them the most. So I could send someone to an endodontist, Rob Montgomery, the endodontist, and you could use all of your expertise. You know what they're going to ask? What do I think, right? So right. they really say this to the broker a lot, and you have to be responsible because you have a lot of power. And I'm sure you see this with your client. I actually don't necessarily think it's about a broker or a general dentist or a dental focus center. I think it's who they have the relationship first with first mm -hmm. because they have a relationship with you first. And if, if we're working on something, they'll say, I want to go ask Rob, right? Even right. if it's not your thing. You right. know? And I'll say something like, you know, when you uh, get into the practice, you have to do X, Y, Z with clinical things. I'm like, I have to go ask Rob. I'm like, Rob doesn't know anything about clinical no, dentistry, right? No, and, yeah. But that happens yeah, with right. us in our world sure, too. Sure. I, I've, I've, given, I've given consultations for orth people who are orthodontists. They've gone to three separate orthodontists and have a complicated treatment plan and they still want to come back and ask me mm -hmm. my thoughts because it's just a relationship-based thing. Same thing with well, you and your clients. Well, it's like, yeah. it's the quarterback, you know, right, somebody yes. is quarterbacking the deal. Somebody's general is the GC of the of the deal who gets the, the broker involved or the CPA involved or the lawyer involved and whoever that is, that's the that's probably the most trusted advisor or it's the advisor that's been with that person the longest and they, you know, they know that that's, you know, when they're going to do this, that's who they're going to pick up the phone yeah. and, and call. Um, but, you know, again, I think it's just, you know, as far as interviewing multiple people, you know, having, you know, being realistic, having your eyes open and not just, you know, falling for the, you know, the, the, the fancy, you know, beauty pageant where right. somebody tells you what you want to hear, because ultimately, you know, if it turns out to just be, you know, inflated or inaccurate, it's just going to frustrate your ability Very to do true. what you need to do. And, and that happens more often than not. That happens at times where it really does a disservice to the whole industry, where I know, you know, maybe I'll be the second or third broker. And they said, the other broker said, I can list my practice for 1.5 million. And for us, it's 900,000. I just saved my mind. They're saying that, but either they're unaware of how it's going to work or they know, which is bad, which is bad, or they know it's going to be 900 at the end, but they're just saying 1.5, which is also so bad, not, which is actually probably worse. Right. Yeah, right. Because, because, uh, and that's just why I want sellers to be aware of, or people selling their practice to just get some responsible information on the value, because that's just, that's everything, right? I mean, the value is everything, whether it's with dental, spend the time to go through even an independent appraisal if you need to, you know, this is a once decision. You might be selling a million dollar asset. If you've spent $3,000 and you talk it over with your accountant too, so that you go into it with responsible information. Because if the first person you meet in the process is a salesperson, it's just a risky, it's risky, you know? Right. So I think that's a important point. And I want to say one more thing, very interesting is uh, I jotted down two uh, actors that, can come into play or so uh, uh kristen bell who i like a lot you ever see the good place it's a good it's a good show it's i actually have show. a few times yeah. i'm not so, yeah. a, i do not watch a lot of tv yeah. as you know but i I'm so she's in that, that and she gave a speech to college grads and she's like i'm up here and i'm not you know a nobel prize winner and i'm not this person but i've gotten to be where i am and he goes i can teach you a lot about this i can teach you a lot about the value of being nice and i can teach you about the value of being someone people want to deal with and i think that comes into play so much i mean what, what you said before but also like if you're a broker is not someone who can manage relationships with the other people. Sometimes the endodontist and the oral surgeons don't want to work with your broker. Yeah. Or if they do, they know that this person's a challenging to deal with. So like that, not, not so much vetting, but making sure it's that person that you want to spend a lot of time with is yeah. just critical. It's true. Well, I think it's also, you know, I had a conversation with somebody recently that, you know, wanted the, you know, the lawyer to fight more for them, you right. know, and like <laughs> yeah. things went too smoothly. Same thing comes up with the broker, you know, right. like, yes. you know, like maybe, you know, you have the, the first instinct is like, I'm going to get somebody who's really going to be aggressive and they're really going to push. And then, you know, that person just turns off every possible right. buyer. And you're like, well, why, uh, why are these people walking away from the practice? Well, maybe they can't stand 
and dealing with your broker. I mean, I'll, I'll you know? say this in the I've most. I've seen that. I've seen this. I'll say this in the most authentic way, in genuine way, since I wear a lot of hats in this world, one of fedora, but you know. And um, a nacho, uh, a nacho yeah, hat yeah, too. That's no, no, um, coming next. There's practices. I mean, I'm, I'm my Jeff and I look to acquire practices and, you know, uh, start our collection, right? Is it called a collection? I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. I'm, uh, there's an empire. I have to say, in this area, I won't look at practice by a certain broker. And it's my own problem, right? I mean, I, I, it's probably not the best decision for me, but since I'm so busy, right. I just won't, I don't even want to have a conversation with this person because it's gone bad so many times right. that I'm not willing to be the, it could be the one who cried wolf in reverse and he, the person could have got a great deal. I just can't go through the process. Well, but you know, you know because you know what, what's entailed. You right. know, like you just don't have the, the bandwidth and the emotional right, yeah. capacity to, to deal with that. Uh, along with everything else, but that's that's what we when it goes back to. You know, this person is a reflection of you, the seller, and you know if if they're going to act in a way that's contrary to sort of the good of the whole and making deals right. come together, and they they're not being nice, then you know the perception is that that you're you know you're kind of like them. But you know what I'll say, Paul, that's kind of the case. You right. know, and it's like the people that gravitate towards certain types of brokers and certain types of business models are the people that, you know, sort of identify with that, you know? So, you know, the person that looks and says, well, gee, you know, I can sell my practice and list it with a dual agent broker and the other side will have to pay a portion of my, of my brokerage fee. Like, I like that, you know, like that they then kind of flock towards that same kind of mentality. And those people are more than happy to show them the way and and collect uh, a fee from the from the buyer and the seller as, and be the as dual you were saying this, I had I had a maybe it's either a genius or uh, evil genius idea like when they have the candidates for the elections and they have like 10 of them up there right and it kind of creates this you know theater for the American public to see I would like if they did that with a lot of different brokers not necessarily on like a one deal but just on how they operate in the process cuz it's very similar right i mean yeah. to politicians it's just like some some drip out information so slowly that you don't want to do it, right? They're, where's the practice? I'll tell you later, right? But I signed the NDA. And then the other time, the other people give you the information in such a disjointed junk drawer way, right. you can't even process it. Right. So I think one good question is like, how are you going to share this information with the people who are buying it? For me, and I'm not saying it's perfect, I just try to do it in a way that makes sense for everybody, you know, so that the potential buyer can process what we're doing. Because I've, I've, you know, sometimes you can waste a lot of time with an uninterested buyer, but you can't be... You can't, you can't, I mean, I'll use a Philly one. You can't think that you're holding the um, the national treasure and Nicholas Cage is coming yeah. to see it, right? right? Right, Because then you sometimes just are so abrasive and the person says, I, I've done it, I've, I've given up, right? I'm not doing the national treasure thing, right? So, right. you know, that, that's just a, a good point. I'm sure maybe some clients come to you and want your opinion on stuff and they might not even have even beginning of enough information to have a good conversation with oh, you. Sure, and, <laughs> and oftentimes I'm not the one to have that conversation with either. Right. You know? People want to ask me specifics about how the hygienists are being paid in the right. practice. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I've got a general idea, but yeah. go talk to the person that looks at, you know, 200 dental practices payroll in, in, right. in the area, and they'll they'll tell you exactly what the market is for that. You right. know, um, but you know what you talked about at the outset, though, Paul, it kind of leads us into the sort of the the temptation of right. nay, you know, right, the broker, yes. you know, I think a lot of times people have the misperception that, oh, this is really easy. You know, there's not much for the broker to do. They just show up, they sign right, the agreement, yeah. they introduce a couple of people and they walk off with the, with the bag of money, as you yeah. said, with the dollar Screws sign on it. Bag, I like that. And uh, if it, you know, for the sake of my friend, Paul, if yeah. it was always that easy, you know, he'd, he'd be better off, but uh, that's not the case. No. And I think, but there's, a uh, sort of a uh, a temptation to you know DIY it right. you know and say well I don't need a broker I could save money on on this and and do it myself and uh, you know what's your uh, well, what's first, been your observation this has to be that? I'll tell you about my people the dentists we're not an easy people um, they don't li- I had one of the things I said to the dentist yesterday is live your life in the most okay not in the lightning so dentists always kind of walk around because dental school is toxic and a terrible place to be thinking you're gonna be struck by lightning in a sunny day. Thinking that if we do implants, nine out of 10 work well, but one could fail. Let's talk about that one. You know, this goes out, you go to a restaurant, 22 times the meal's great. The 23rd time it's not so great, Dennis wanna say, I wanna hear about that 23rd time. So they're always thinking, you know, what could go, what could go wrong? And when you DIY 
a, a once thing or a big thing in your life, sometimes you're just putting yourself, this is the time dentist, where you're putting yourself in a category of where a lot of things can go wrong. The number one thing that can go wrong with the DIY process, in my opinion, as a buyer and a broker and someone who's doing this is that you get a buyer who's not gonna bring it to the finish line and you have to get somewhere and you just don't have, you're not savvy enough as a dentist who's been dentisting for their whole life, which is normal, right? To be able to determine that this young, enthusiastic dentist who wants to buy your practice has no ability to get the loan or no right. ability to get out of their contract, right. right? They leave these things out, right? I mean, you've dealt with things to so say, I, I mean, I'm sure this has happened many times where someone has a, uh, a buyer and they now realize, oh, there's a restrictive covenant, they can't get the, the loan. And these are things that I dig into with a broker right up front. So I learn if this buyer is going to be able to take this to the finish line or not. So I think that's one of the one of the risks of the DIY process is not being able to uh, really vet the, the buyer. The other is just awareness of your practice and bringing in possible candidates. Like you have this thing. So most of the time, and we were talking, when a dentist is brought in a broker, it's usually later than they should have when they want to buy a practice. It's normal, but they're usually way too long. And then they have a timeline that is unrealistic, right? right? And I actually, before I came a broker, I'll say to the audience, I, I thought it was a much shorter process. You know, I think 12 months is a normal process. Now I thought it was a few months before I was a broker. Mm -hmm. So some dentist will call me and say, you know, I had my practice listed for a while by myself. I couldn't get move it. And now we got to move in two months. Can you help me? And I kind of like, probably not right. because it's too late. So I think that those two things, not being able to vet the strength of the buyer and also just bringing enough candidates to buy the practice is, a DIY risk in the traditional sense. But if you have somebody working in your practice who wants to buy your practice, that's a time where you wouldn't need a broker. I would say nay to that. I mean, you've had experience with that. Yeah, that drives me crazy. Yeah. You know, when <laughs> we see a situation where, um, where, and, and I'll tell you, it's always our client is the one buying in here because yeah, right. I never, ever let one of my clients right. as a seller engage a broker and pay them whatever, 10% to quote unquote broker a buy-in of, of an existing associate. You right, know? Like exactly. I don't know why people would do that. Um, you know, if, if anybody's thinking about doing that, don't do it. You know, it's kind of like the classic, uh, similar, I guess. Remember the uh, Tiki Barber and, yeah. his, and, his, and his brother, you know, like they didn't have an agent, they did their own right. negotiation. Like you don't need an agent to, you know, put you together with your, your associate. Oh, totally, you know, I was thinking, I was, I was thinking as we've had many, uh, uh, meals together, it's like sitting at a restaurant at a table and paying someone to find you the table, right? <laughs> yeah. You've got the table. Right. Now, if that table is a wobbly leg or that table self-destructs, then you need a new table. But that happens and you're right. And somehow, it, I think the sellers just, I don't, I don't, I think it's because they don't know who the right person to go to is. And somehow mm -hmm. they go to a broker. And that, if it was me, and I'm not really, but, but like, I would not take that quote unquote deal. Like I would, if someone, if somebody said, I'm wanna, I wanna sell my practice, says, okay, great, who? To my associate of five years, I said, you need a Rob Montgomery, you need a dental focused accountant, why don't you guys start talking? Maybe you need an independent appraiser for your practice to right. start this conversation. Right. But you don't need me. The main thing of a broker is to bring buyers to the table. Right. You've gotten the table here, right? Mm -hmm. you yep. And then I tell them, go through that whole process, and if it doesn't work out for you guys, I'll be happy to list your practice. And I just think dentists need to, to hear to, that. To a third party. To a third that's party. Not in the, yeah, that's to not somebody in the, else. In the practice. Yeah. Right. I I'd also think, Rob, which is interesting, because you guys see this, is just because, like, the exercise of a dentist really digging in with their associate to buy a practice, it's like, it's a very internal thing, right? The, a, an attorney's a perfect person to talk to because you structure partnership agreements. Mm -hmm. Like, that's who you need first. Right. To even find out, you know, when we, this was a big thing on the Facebook groups the other day, and you know, we've talked about it, uh, you know, can you sell 20% of your practice to somebody? Like that's not a question for me, the broker, it's a question for Rob and his team, the attorneys and probably accountants too. Sure, legally you can, you know, and but uh, there's so many issues that come up with that, you know, that, and this is one of the things that you've heard me whine about that, you know, people will chime in on those, you know, right. social media threads or blogs and like give all kinds of advice. And it's just so much depends on the nature of the practice. You know, is the is the the person that's selling the interest, are they going to be working after? Are they producing as much? Right. Is there going to be an opportunity to buy the rest of the, the interest at some point in the future? You know, is there a lease involved? Was the lease fair? Like there's so me, many variables to that. Yeah. But, you know, it always strikes me that people will just chime in and give like a, yes, this is the right answer to that question. Like, that, that, you know, there You're is right. not one right answer that, 
is you know, universal for everybody uh, facing that situation. Yeah, I remember you telling me this uh, even one of our olden days time when we lectured to the residents about when I brought everyone in these are people in your dental neighborhood where, you know, buying an unequal part of a practice is a risk and they should know something like that. I know this is veers off the topic of brokers a little bit, but it just shows you that you need the right person giving you the right advice at the right time. For sure. You know? <laughs> and, and, and in that situation, it's even more important, right. you know, because that's like now you're starting to stray into, you know, this is somebody that you work for or work with right. on a daily basis. You already have this relationship. So it's like doing a deal with somebody in your family, right? Right. You, you really need one to make sure that expectations are properly aligned, because if you are a seller about to bring an associate in and you basically fleece the associate with you know, some purchase price, that's not gonna go real well right. for your long-term relationship. One, the deal's not gonna come to fruition. And if that deal doesn't come to fruition, I mean, I don't know how the employer-employee relationship right, yes. can continue on, right? right? Yeah, yeah. It's certainly uh, going to be strained, uh, to say the least. So, you know, you really want to make sure that you have expectations properly aligned on both sides. But then it's really important, too, to have a filter in there. Right. You know, yes. and I think especially what we see when we're working with uh, with the quote-unquote younger dentist, the person that's buying in, um, they oftentimes get sucked into having these one-on-one, mano-a-mano right. conversations with somebody, you know, the seller, the owner, the employer yeah. about the transition. And, you know, they don't know what to ask. They've right, exactly. never been through this before. And, you know, you're on the spot with, with your employer. You don't want to tell them something that, you know, you know is going to right. upset them. Uh, but at that point, that's when it's really crucial to have somebody involved whoever the you know the the general contractor right. is of the project whether it's a cpa or a financial advisor or a lawyer um or even you know somebody that is a uh, a buyer broker what, buyer representative you know which is something that you yeah, do and there's some I other folks do that, that yeah do that i just too. try to assume what you said is so important it's also usually those owner associate disagreements are almost always over stuff that doesn't matter. It's like it, fighting over the paint, and you don't even know if the house could go there, right? It's like totally. they, they fight over like, can we well, keep the website this way, or can we do? Can we use the same lab? When meanwhile, there's these giant decisions that right. need to be made that affect people's future financial advice, how much money they make affects both of their families. Right. No one's talking about that. Right. But it's like, you know, it's-, it's Well, that's uh, because they don't know, they don't have the, the script. They, they, that's exactly it. One, they're talking about things that they shouldn't be talking about because nobody who is, you know, experienced has set the agenda. Right, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. they're talking about the things on a list of 50 things, the the, the bottom five, and they're like the, the ones that matter, uh, you know, the top 45 aren't even being discussed. But on top of that, you know, these sometimes can be difficult conversations right. and it's a lot better if they're those conversations are being filtered by somebody else so if you know you know to stick with your analogy if somebody says i don't want to you know i don't like what he's doing because he's you know says he wants to repaint the uh the uh waiting room green well that's not you know that doesn't make it back right. necessarily yeah. like yeah, we yeah. don't have to worry about that yeah, yeah right let's talk about the things that matter and you know ultimately you know sometimes these can be tense issues and we're talking about sometimes big dollars and things that are going to impact the seller's future and the buyer's future you know they can get a little a little testy you don't have to go through that sort of mano a mano you know difficult conversation with your employer or your employee let your representatives have that conversation you guys can still go out and have lunch together yes. and and have a great relationship and at the end of the day you could say you know what that was really rocky yeah that was my lawyer or that was my cpa but, right yeah you know but we could still shake hands and be friends yeah. but you know if you have an argument a day you know with with the person that you work with um you know one it's going to be a very unpleasant place totally. to work and two it you know it could just totally derail the uh, the possibility of selling the practice. And those are important points. And using a broker in this, brokers, I mean, many times the other side when I'm selling a practice doesn't know how much I've helped them by managing my own client's expectations. I know you do that too. So sometimes the seller will call me up or text me and say, I'm so mad about blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you're gonna have to get over that, right? I'm like, that's what they can do, whether it's looking at the charts maybe. I'm just trying to pick an example. Right. So a lot of times a good advisor or brokers also managing their own size expectation. You know, like if you were, if you were managing an argument between two friends, you'd be like, "Don't bring that one up, right? Just, just right. don't bring it up, right? right. Don't bring up that time not in high now. school right. when he forgot to pick you right. up from the thing. Like it's not right. the time, right? So, uh -huh. 
uh, that's just another thing about working with experienced people and experienced brokers. And we talk about too, I mean, since I do all sides, just one of the challenges is there's not a barriers to interest to being a broker. Because when I started, uh, my dental colleagues might not realize this, but I did go to dental school for four, four years. I went to a multi-year GPR. I've done a lot uh, to be able to be a dentist, be a broker. I said to Bob uh, Septak, what do I need you to be a broker? He goes, nothing. You're a yeah. broker. I said, wow. Not that, in that, Pennsylvania that was, that was or New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. So that's just something to be totally aware of that there's, there's you know, there's no degree in it. There's, if I, if we talk about, I think there should be something. It'd be great if there was some. Well, some states do have it. I mean, I know Florida does. The real uh, estate. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. but oddly enough, yeah, if you want to be a practice broker in Florida, you have to have a real estate license, which I don't really know how those two necessarily go together, yeah. but at least there's something, you know. But yeah, it's a good point, Paul. And people need to realize, too, that, you know, uh, as a dentist, you have a state board, you have regulations. Right. As a lawyer, I have a bar association, a Supreme Court, and they have rules, and I have to follow ethical guidelines same thing with cpas but with brokers in the overwhelming majority of places you know you just have to go and call yourself a right. broker yeah, you know yeah, and, yeah. and that doesn't mean that you are qualified and you're familiar with the industry or you know how to uh to value practices or how to review agreements or uh how to do anything you know uh, and there are some people that are brokers who are extremely qualified right. you know, in a lot of different ways and really provide value and have a network of people and they've been in the industry, they understand how it works. And there are other people that just sort of solve you know, the quick buck. Yeah, you know, right. They said, wow, that's easy. Give me some of that money too. And they may not necessarily have have a clue as to as to what's going on. And I would on say, well, you know, maybe you know, I brought actually some great dentists into the United Dental Brokers Fold. We have a really uh, great one in Ohio now who closed his first deal but he saw how much work it was. It's also good for the yeah, brokers. Cliff, right? Yeah, yeah, Cliff, yeah, 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 yeah I met him at great the, guy, uh, great guy the recent I mean, and he, right? But he's a lot like me, and he's bringing Dennis together. And also for brokers, like, I don't think of this job as an opportunity to make a quick buck, right? Like, meaning, like, it, it, it's something that it's, it's hard to do it and get a lot of deals done if you're not good. So even for people who think they want to go into it, it's, I would find think there's better fields to maybe go into without a barrier to entry in the most positive way right i mean like i'm just saying like right. you know it's it's not a, i mean you're gonna work with dentists who don't know they live they work in caves there are cornelius right? right you're gonna have to bring all these different people together and you know that's why there i'm sure there's you know enormous turnover in the broker field that you know there is because you know it's a rough one and uh you also one of the things i just like to point out is you know when you're a broker you're kind of on 24 7 to be a, a broker and i mean to me i handle that pretty well and it's okay with me but that's just another thing is like you know the access that people have to you, especially with technology now, Facebook, uh, texting, calls, because these, I call, oh, this is what I said the other day, Rob, but it was good. It's like a summer camp friends, right? When you are on a deal, uh -huh. you really get to know these people. Right. And then it goes away. Right. But during the summer camp of the deal, it's a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's on your mind, you, you know, the purge, you see the text from the person, you know, okay, this is the deal. And sometimes you gotta answer them when you're with your family, sometimes you have to, because it's, it's just something has to be done. It's not a disease to schedule it. Which is probably another, you know, reason why you shouldn't try to do it yourself. Oh, right. Right? Yes, exactly. You know, like I, I wouldn't really be too happy if I was sitting in a, in a dental chair as a patient and, you know, my, my dentist had his one hand in my mouth and the other hand, he was responding right. to some texts <laughs> yeah. about, you know, some financial information that's being, uh, that's being transmitted yes. that afternoon about the practice and fielding phone calls. Yeah, you totally. Know, like, right. Exactly. And, 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 but it is, it is a 24 seven thing. It's sort of like our world too, that, and like it or not, you know, we, we are in the world where, you know, there's an expectation of immediacy with most electronic communication. Right, exactly. So it's not like, you know, if you're trying to sell your practice, you'll just get back to somebody the next day or a couple of days later. You know, like you uh, you may lose the opportunity to, uh, you know, to, to, to sell to that person or they may look at something else or, you know, they they're, they just might move on, you know, but there's no you don't have that luxury of just yeah, waiting till next week because know? There's no, you know, we, you know, some of the dentists say, how come there just isn't, you know, an MLS for this stuff? And I tell them that, think about your practice. Think about if you went in tomorrow and as a joke told people you were going to sell it, someone would immediately quit against their own good sense. They would yeah. just say, oh, I'm down to this place. They wouldn't come back from lunch. Right. The next day you said it was a big joke. They said, go find Katie. Tell her we're just kidding. Right. 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 So I just tell people that these things are confidential and your broker is the MLS. And your broker has to do it in a very 
sometimes subtle, but also get the word out. Like I use dental nachos, I use my MailChimp list, I use a lot of different things. It's, it's not easy to do, right? right? So you should ask your broker, how are they gonna market this practice? Right. And who are they gonna get it to? Because I mean, I think this is actually just an interesting topic and I've thought about this myself with some of the things I do with all our, our C that we do together. When I try to market it to young dentists who would be buying some of these practices, right? How are you gonna get it to them? You're not gonna call them on the phone. You're not gonna send them a letter. You're not even gonna email them anymore. Right. Because now, a lot of them aren't even using Facebook. So do you have the ability to run this through your Instagram stories? I've gotten a lot of feedback from running practice through Instagram stories, right? Crazy, but yeah. Yeah, because that's the young people. I did a thing on Dental Nase, Rob. This is just interesting. So I wanted to promote that I would let uh, dental students watch in our new dentist boost camp at no charge, okay? I want to promote that totally free thing. There's no obligation. They can watch one hour. They can binge watch it like Game of Thrones. So I said, I put on Facebook, my own group, and I also put it on my Instagram stories. Uh-huh. In the whole evening, I got one person to respond from the Facebook stories and eight people to respond initially, immediately from Instagram. Yeah. And Instagram's gonna get replaced. Right, right. It's just the attention, right. just like, you know, letter, uh, telephone, email, fax, fax was in there, email. Right. And I mean, that, that to me as a broker is actually one of the most challenging parts. You know, how do you get this information to the people who might wanna, uh, by the practice. Oh, and it's changed so much, you know, and that's, you know, the model, the business model of the broker world right now is one that's built on sort of the old days where, you know, people that were uh, that were brokers had to spend a lot of time networking right. and meeting dentists. And so that dentists, when it came time for them to sell, they knew who these people were. And at the same time, they were out pounding the pavement, you know, trying to identify potential buyers so yeah. that they truly were the, the matchmakers like hey i know that this person wants to sell i've met this this young dentist at, at a couple of uh study clubs and i know that they want to buy and i think this would be this would be a good fit it doesn't happen nearly no, as much and, now and you know it's uh it's, people are moving across the country for practice how do you get in touch with them and it's just you know someone asked today uh of course they didn't who's the best dental focused accountant out there right i said i don't, I don't know if we have rankings of these like the olympics but here's like four i tag four accountants right. and i mean that's just to me is amazing it's cool i mean it's on dental yeah. nachos he said right. I tag, and then the one accountant immediately said thanks right and i'm not it's not a uh battle i just say here's four people who do this that's yeah. the new way of that old school thing someone said said to del nachos hey dental nachos who's the best accountant out there and i saw it and i just in under five seconds i right. say here's these people and then one said thanks and it to me that's very cool but it's also weirdly scary because like what happens to the next thing like how much stuff do you have to keep up with yeah because you know that guy's my age who asked they're a little younger so we're good with facebook but these other i actually would say this to dental students if you're listening uh, for your professional obligation, you should be on the dental Facebook groups. First of all, it's like free CE every day that you do have to vet, like we've talked about, right? right. It's a, but also, it's free connections. Mm-hmm. And the people that you want to connect with are older than you. Right. So you may want to hang out with your friends on Instagram and post your picture on vacation. E- even if Facebook and Instagram isn't cool, right? Yeah, see, you know, even there, if it's not good. This is not being cool. It's your career. purpose, right? Yeah, yeah. This, right. I mean, you, the you, old you, people on you, Facebook. You, you, think about it. I mean, if this is the, ma- you said the matchmaking world. I mean, yeah. If you, people want to get married, they usually find, you know, my generation, people go to bars and out to places. Then there's the online dating. If this is matchmaking, the young dentist wants to be made a match with someone in a different generation, you know, far removed from them. So they right. have to go to where they are. Right. And vice versa. The young, I tell the, you know, sometimes when I have an uh, older, I mean, I tell this, this is just great advice for a more seasoned age dentist. We call them sads, Rob, in our, uh, in our, in our world. <laughs> is that where you are? No, I'm a mad, medium yeah. age dentist. Okay. I'm a mad. Okay. When yeah, do you I'm become 10 a sad? To, 10 to 25 years, I got eight years to a sad. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, You're aging uh, well though, Paul. Yeah, thanks, I appreciate it. The, the 10 to 25 is one of the longest because that's the maddest time. But okay. I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, I tell the sads, they got to come meet the bads, baby age dentist at the courses, right? right. So it's, it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to sell your practice to get to your next step, you got a problem. You want to buy your practice, you got to get to your next step. Both of these people should be interacting um, in person, in addition to uh, online type stuff, but yeah. I mean that to me just isn't. It's to me, it's fun. It's a challenge, but I don't think people who don't do this every day are aware of all the interconnectedness you have through methods they didn't even know existed. Yeah, well, networks have changed, you right. know, and help. And, and again, there was a time when you had to have the. Uh, you know the, the the boots on the ground, the broker that knew everybody in the community. Right. It was a lot more local, and that's why you now see a lot more of a national, uh, you know, big firms yeah. that uh, that operate nationally because you don't have to have as much of a, a local presence. But even back to what we said a little while ago, I mean, that's why I think 
uh, I'm saying, why would a seller ever use a broker to transition a practice to an associate of theirs? It's because their trusted advisor is the broker. Right. You know, yeah. they, they go back to the time when the brokers were still developing those relationships, those personal relationships with people that they knew were maybe not going to be ready to sell for 15 or 20 years. You know, because right. that's what you had to do. Uh, but it's a very different world that we're yeah. in now, you know, and uh, and the networks are, as you've said before, you know, saying the cave, you know, like uh, everybody's in their cave and what ties them together are, you know, social media, electronic you know, media and uh, the technology that allows right. people to, to interact. And, you, you know, if you don't have a, a, a command of that technology and a, and a working knowledge and understanding, then you're really you're off the back and you're not doing a service to to your client the seller right uh, and you're not helping a buyer either you know it's, and, and we also have um you know it's harder in areas that are less uh i guess the right word really is popular to live it's hard to get the word out in some of these areas this happens with the jobs too people say oh there's so many jobs for young dentists and i have a job and i can't find anyone i said hey how's anyone going to find your job how do you even promote your job? Do you right. put on a bulletin board in the middle of town, right? So it's it's you know it's a it's a bigger picture thing. I mean, you see with what uh, you guys do and such an awesome job, but you're getting clients from all over the place every day. It's wild. Yeah, yeah. probably something. You could, it's something what I like to say is like you couldn't have even fathom that this was going to happen, no. right? Like like you didn't even. It was like a thing that happened that you were just you couldn't even predict it, and, and I, I couldn't have either. So no. it's just it's it's interesting, and it's a um. It's, I think the broker world is one of the one that's the most behind, so to speak, but it also has the biggest anchor of like, anyone can go on to a Facebook group and say, can I get a dental focused account? You don't know what that's for, right? Could be for their practice. It's, mm-hmm. if, you, if you go on and say, I need a broker, it's like you're saying, you know, I'm gonna sell my practice. Or if you say, I mean, you, you know, um, I, I actually always think this is kind of uh, funny and I treat it seriously though. People say, Paul, can you post for me that I, uh, I'm interested in a practice because my employer's on the group, but I don't want my employer to see. And I and I see that that could happen. Yeah, it's very unlikely, but it could. Sure, I don't know. But, I, I mean, I yeah, I, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. Yeah, well, a the, lot of times, sometimes we'll get calls from people, uh, you know, with a different Facebook name than you know yeah. than they're actually right. talking. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I get yeah. these messages. I'm like, but well, wait a second, yeah, I thought yeah. I was talking to this. Like, no, no, that's yeah, my yeah, that's my yeah, alias. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then sometimes it's hard to so, track. One time I had somebody that was like all up in arms that I didn't know who they were. I'm like, but you, it's just, it's just a different <laughs> yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, How am I supposed to know yeah, all of your yeah, aliases? Yeah, yeah. Like, you yeah, your Facebook name is Green Lantern, yeah, right? You're Joe Smith, but yeah, like you snuck you snuck this one by me. So uh, I think that uh, it's interesting. So it, like everything, and we talk about, you know, there's there's an evolution to everything that's happening. The broker field is going to evolve. Um, you know, we talked about some of the, uh, you know, we one of the things that we talked about with the dentist thing, what's this going to cost me, right? You know, what, what do you mainly see usually, Rob, as commissions for practices for sale or when your clients ask you? Yeah, I mean, typically it's still 10%. Um, there are, you know, discount brokers yeah. out there that are less, I can't remember, is it 3% or 4%? There's a 3% broker, yeah. Right, so, and, and I don't know to what extent if they provide the same level of service or if they're really filling what, you know, is a, a market need for, you know, putting a buyer and seller together, yeah. which, you know, I respect that. I mean, right. I, I like anything where somebody's trying to do something different. Right, right? yeah, yeah. You know, and so to some extent, you know, the days that we talk about, like the old school boots on the ground, you don't really need that as much yeah. because of technology. I mean, and we go set, sell a set of used golf clubs to somebody in China today, right, yeah. you know, like, and, and they, they'll have them tomorrow, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. And I'll be paid and like, it's, yeah. it's crazy. And so those, you know, there are opportunities as we talk about with, with these electronic networks. So somebody that is doing, you know, uh, you know something at a, at a lesser rate, you know, that's moving this more like a commodity, maybe that's good for some people. But, you know, typically, though, we see the the 10% for the reasons we talked about. It's not, you know, what people see, and this is the temptation, I don't want to pay the broker all that money. And, you know, and sometimes I am guilty of that, too. Uh, But, you know, the reality is for, you know, every deal that comes together easily, there's probably, I don't know, I should ask you, Paul, five that that don't go smoothly. I mean, and one of the things is, we were kind of that let's make a deal thing. I was thinking of saying, you know, if you were practice, that you think, let's just say you can think you get a million dollars for it. And one door is DIY it for a million, the mm-hmm. most ideal door. The second door is a broker and you get 900,000. Yeah. And the third door, zero, right? And if you made me like put, 
like the MBLR, the number of ping pong balls into what would mostly DIY for a million, 900. I would put the majority of ping pong balls in this middle door right. of the 900. And then the DIY, I'd put only a couple. Mm-hmm. And over here in the zero, I'd put the rest because... Yeah. You know, if you're not going to use a broker, the alternative sometimes can be zero for your whole practice. And then you can mean one of the things, too, and I really believe this should be a family event and, you know, spouses. Right now, most dentists are male that are selling practices, but that's going to change. Uh, but a spouse or a partner should be involved because I think if they knew sometimes the risk of not leaving, like if they're going to want to go to Arizona or Florida right. and their spouse is like, but I don't want to pay $55,000, they'd right. be like, oh, we're not going to do that one, right? We're going to, because whether you, I mean, and, you know, it's just, I mean, I think we both could say nobody's life is different whether they get 800, 855,000. I mean, it's just, it's not a markedly different life. Especially after you pay taxes. Right, yes. And it's, but it is different if you don't sell it at all. Mm-hmm. It is different if you have somebody get to the to the five yard line, then, then inter- throw an interception or, or right. fumble the ball. Right. So, uh, but a lot uh, of it too is it's a timing thing, as you said, you know, and if, uh, if you're looking to, to move to Phoenix and play golf and you're you're 68 and it takes you two more years, then, you know, by the time you get out there to play golf, you're, right, not, yeah. you're not as good a golfer. Yes, right? right, exactly. And that, and that might be a bummer. I mean, but, but some people can do it. Like, you know, let's just say this. Like, this is, once again, there is no right oh, answer yeah. for everything. You know, if somebody is in a situation where they have a good relationship with one of their supply reps, you yeah. know, we know people that are like for this sure. that are more entrepreneurial and more forward thinking and looking bigger picture as to how to help their their clients and customers uh if they can put them together with you know with somebody else and right. it doesn't really cost as much or, or anything at all and you can make it work that way because you have that opportunity well then that's awesome yeah you know but if you don't then you have to be realistic about you know trying and to do I, I agree so i give a good example or two good examples from my own life of trying not to annoy myself one is like the moving, right? So when people move themselves in college because they want to save money, but then that first time they get movers, ask them if they're ever not going to get movers and yeah. they're going to get the movers. And the other is now in Disney World, I do my, my family did it, they have to skip the line pass. So when people go, they pay extra for like skipping the line on certain rides and right. go ask those people if they would never not get to skip the line pass, even though they spent many Disney World trips without it. Right. The thing that we've just talked about, this is a once thing. You right. know, you're, you're not going to necessarily always do it five times. So I think, you know, well then, but let, let's look at the other side now too. If you're somebody that's buying a practice, you know, and are you, how are you going to look at a for sale by owner practice? How do you regard that? I mean, I'll tell you right now, and I, I really hadn't thought about this until you know just now. If I'm, I, I don't, I've never looked at a for sale by owner house, right? right because I you mean, know it's weird. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just, I just assume like, and even now, I'm not in that in the market you know, to buy a house. But if I walk by a house and I see that sign out there, I immediately think I know because it's based on my experience that my clients have had that that's going to be a difficult person to deal with, right? They don't want to do it the way that it's done and everybody else does it. They're going to do their own special way of selling the house. And and I also know that they're trying to like nickel and dime yes. everybody that's involved so that when I would have the expectation again this is not everybody and this is you know this bias may be entirely off base but i don't think i'm probably the only person that feels this way i would look at that and say when it comes time to negotiate with them they're going to be difficult people to deal with right Right. for sure so you know i almost feel like uh when you know if you're going to go out and again one thing if you're selling a practice on your own and you've already got the, the, the parties are lined up and you're just making that right. happen. But if you truly are going to go out and, and sort of do the equivalent of a for sale by owner listing, hang out, you know, the equivalent of hanging out a sign to say that your practice is for sale, uh, I think it's almost like putting a, a scarlet letter. I, I totally, you know, I totally agree. It. Those I rarely would want to look at. And also, like, the, it's like, I use the example. If you came over in the morning and I gave you the job of trying to get Daphne out the door, you'd like it if she had her backpack, all the stuff, and said, okay, Rob, walk out the door. If you came <laughs> in at time zero, yeah. you'd be like, this is crazy. Like what? Yeah. She's arguing over an outfit, and that's what happens. The for sale by owner, they're usually good at doing the for sale by owner, but not the legwork to even get it ready to sell. Right. So when you start to say, can I have your three years of tax returns? Like, oh yeah, my accountant will get it to you at some point, because it, your point is so right. Usually if they have a good dental focus accountant already, or a right. dental focus attorney, they're probably right. gonna say, Hey, hey, Dr. Bill, you probably should talk to some brokers because you want the process to go better. For Dr. Bill, right. there are usually people, just like in the for sale, who are kind of doing this lone wolf thing. Right. And uh, 
I, you know, it's just, I'm not sure why they want to do it. I mean, to sellers out there, ask other sellers you who do sold know, their Paul. practice. Yeah, to, right. To, then it's cheap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it's weird. It winds up, call, the whole thing, I, I don't think even people, and it'd be great if people don't usually like to admit, you know, when they were wrong, but I would even like to talk to some for sale by owners if they did do it. And they'll probably say the thing like Mrs. Nostra says to me, which never means this, Rob. It was fine, right? <laughs> she says it's fine. I feel like that is not fine. I know you're using the word fine. I feel like your whole body language not fine, right? right, right. So they would, you know, I, I think they would um, uh, say that. So I think it's just a perfect, it's a perfect comparison, you know, with the real estate world and just thinking something's a little off about that hanging the sign out for sale right. by owner. Right, right. And right. Uh, you just know that it's you're you're getting yourself involved in a, in a difficult yeah. difficult situation. But you know, when you say you know, go talk to your CPA or go talk to your lawyer. That kind of brings us up to sort of like the next uh, the next topic here, which is who are the brokers, you know, right. and and that's really changed a lot too, you know. I think over the years, as you know, people have seen more uh, transactions go, and in my uh, you know, in my observation, there are just more the mar- There's a, a better market for dental practices right. today than there were whatever 24 years ago when I first started representing dentists because I think a lot more lenders are, right. are, are interested Only in dentists. Space. The terms are good, uh, the loan terms. It used to be if you were buying a, a dental practice, you were borrowing money, you had to go to an SBA lender right. and you know, you'd be paying several percentage points higher than what somebody would be paying to get a loan to start a trucking company right. as ludicrous as that is now yeah. that we all know but you know back then that was that was the case so you know but that that has changed you know so now where there's more money to buy practices you know this has become a much more liquid situation where people right. know they can get a loan and they can uh and they can buy a practice so as a result there's more practices that are right. being bought and sold so there's just more activity and with that there are more people that see kind of the opportunity to kind of monetize you know uh the the sale of practices and kind of you know get an easy buck so people that are not you know the conventional broker only yeah. you know we're seeing more cpas we're seeing more well, dentists yeah right. right uh some lawyers from time to time which you know from my perspective ethically yeah, that's, right. a, that's a very funky thing um if you're trying to do both and also i asked her like like maybe it's just because i'm just like focus and streamline things in my dental practice and maybe you know the answer but like why would a lawyer even want to sometimes sell a practice? Like, I don't want to sometimes do a root canal. I don't know. It yeah. just, it, 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 or, you know, or you send me even the accounts, like, it just doesn't seem like it fits into what they do all the time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I'll tell you that. It's not, I mean, maybe, you know, the time will come in my career where I say, <laughs> I'm just done doing all this legal stuff and I'm going to sell dental practices I mean, with my buddy Paul people, Goodman, you know, but, That I could see if people I, were out of doing, but like, it's like me kind of, every now and then doing this dental procedure yeah. that I think might be lucrative, but it probably winds up being a hassle. Yeah, it doesn't work. You know? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Paul, you can put braces on people. Right? You went to <laughs> yeah, dental yeah, school. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, yeah, I saw it once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know how to do that. I mean, now, I, I mean, honestly, I think it's probably somebody that's just got, they obviously don't have enough work to, work to keep them yeah, busy yeah. because it is two very different channels. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, you almost be better off just being in an entirely different business. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too, from a lawyer's perspective, I mean, lawyers usually get paid, you know, on an hourly basis or some sort of flat fee. And, you know, you've, you know, I've come to the world of what it's yeah. like to do a lot of work Dennis, and I not put, get paid. I put hours and hours and it's zero dollars. And that's, that's a just, bummer. Yeah. yeah, right. You know? It's a morale decreaser. You yeah. know? But, you know, it's it's similar to saying, like, you know, if you look at, you know, a personal injury, you know, plaintiff's firm that does contingent fee work, they're set up for that, you know? Yeah. And, and that's okay. Most of those firms don't do some hourly work and some contingent fee work. You know, it's yeah. kind of, it's one model or the other. And like, if you're not set up to get the windfall sometimes yeah. to cover the downfall, then, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a goofy business model. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, to have, uh, kind of have a foot in both, both of those yeah. routes for sure. It's a, uh, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, I think what we've uncovered or, or hopefully shared with our audience is that uh, it's a wild and wacky world out there for my presentation of practice transitions. And when you get on this ride, you know, you want to make sure it's a safe one. And uh, I think you said a good point for like, even when it goes, I always say this to them when I manage the expectations of the person selling for the first time, I go, there's going to come a point where you think it's not going well, but it's just going normal. And that's like, it happens in every dental procedure sometimes. Right. And I just think that's, something our listeners should know because 
this isn't something they're going to do every day like us. We're out there. We're out there. We're on the front lines, Rob. Front lines of what? No one knows. But I'm just saying we're on the front lines of these, you know, dental transition things. And, uh, you know, just to to reiterate a theme of our podcast, like they don't talk about this in dental school at all. Right. Right. In in any way. They should. They should make you aware of it. You know, like I'm trying to think of a good example for our daughters in Philadelphia. I know, like, you know, the Mummers Parade happens on New Year's Day, right? What is it? Just happens, right? So when it happens, they say, "Oh yeah, I remember." There's some people interesting dressed on New Year's on right. Broad Street, right? So I just think, you know, uh, the theme you have of awareness of this stuff is just good for our industry. Yeah, yeah, and, and just being exposed and, and thinking about what's what's the best way to do it. And you know, you don't have to torture yourself with this whole right, process. Yeah. You know, there is there is another way, and you know, surrounding yourself with with the right team, the right broker, the right CPA, the right lawyer can make uh, the process go a lot smoother. Oh, totally. Oh, thanks as always. It's a pleasure, Paul. Yeah, always good fun. chat. Good chat, Rob. If you guys like this, uh, leave us a review at the Dental Me on the Dental Amigos. We like a good review for us, and uh, no bad reviews. Yeah, 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 no bad reviews. We're, we're, we're yeah. not accepting we, bad reviews. Yeah, I like that. So, uh, thanks again, Rob. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos, and don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.